Hello everybody and welcome back to What The Rock, the Edge of the Crowd's dedicated Aussie Rules podcast where we discuss and dissect all the latest in the Aussie Rules world. My name is Rebecca Ruthman and I am joined by Danny Brown and Ellie McNerney. How are we going and did we enjoy the football that the Easter long weekend served up? as an Essendon supporter no <laughs> quite frankly um but yes no it was another great game uh, great round um with some wins that I was happy with I forgot to put in my tips though so I'm a bit annoyed with myself about that uh not that I would have got many right I don't think um but yes good good to have some games on um especially on Easter Monday I really enjoyed that one despite the fact that I was working but um having it on in the background was a good good uh, source of company Ellie how was how was your weekend you enjoy the footy yeah great for the doggies to be back on the winners list um yeah I honestly didn't think that game would I thought it would be a lot closer mainly because I've got no faith in my own team um but that's just me um yeah great great um few games a few of them were blowouts but there was Especially that Easter Monday clash, it's always it always um, promises to be an absolutely great match. So yeah, and there was a few close ones that probably another couple of close ones, um, which was always good to see. Um, had the um, last quarter of the Port Adelaide Carlton game on my phone at Easter lunch, which was um, quite fun. Um, but yeah, Beck, what about you? Um. Oh, let's get the elephant out of the room, shall we? Um, So I went to the Good Friday clash between West Coast and Sydney. And let's just say I think there were more people in line for the camp field than there were people in the actual stadium um, in the final quarter. It was just, oh, it was not a great game of football to watch. Um, Sydney or West Coast supporter because it just wasn't great. And on Easter Sunday, I was actually out in the middle of the bush. So I had no signal available and I couldn't watch any footy on Easter Sunday. So I've had better weekends as a footy fan. Um, Certainly didn't beat the weekend I've just had in Melbourne. Um, But yeah, there were some good matches. And obviously, as we've said before, um, the Easter Monday match was a belter. So yeah. Um. So I guess we've given our verdict of the weekend, but now we're going to do our clangers and hangers, which um, if you have not tuned in before, we give our highlights and our lowlights of the round that has just been. Everybody loves a hanger, but no one likes a clanger. So Danny, take us away. Sure. So um, my clangor is um, something that you just touched on. Um, Carlton almost dropping the ball. Uh, They had a massive lead against Port Adelaide. And um, it was quite frightening how, actually, I don't know what was more frightening, how much of a basket case the Blues turned into or how much Port actually, like, capitalized on it um it was it was a fun um one to watch to see if port would actually get there um and yeah port did have the chance to to win it but uh in the end yeah Carlton got up so um the clanger there is 
subjective is it the fact that Port couldn't finish off one of the biggest comebacks in recent history or is it that Carlton just could not hold a strong lead and sort of slipped into the Carlton of old that we knew um, before they started winning games this year. <laughs> um, and my hangout goes to Marcus Adams from Brisbane. Um, kicked his first goal in five years. What a drought to break. Um, first goal as a lion. Um, for those who don't know, he was at the Western Bulldogs beforehand. Um, and he absolute, it was an absolute roost. Like he has booted that from outside 50 with Mason Cox on the mark and just mm, mwah, chef's kiss for that one. That was just so good. And the way that everyone got around him, I know I've spoken about it before on previous episodes, but I just love when a whole team gets around one person after they kick a goal or they've done something great. Like that, that was a really sort of um, heartwarming moment that made me smile from the weekend. Uh, in in a weekend of footy that didn't really make me smile otherwise <laughs> um, ellie what about you um so as always let's get the bad news out of the way first um while it was a i guess it could be considered a hangout for geelong supporters um it certainly wasn't for um anyone supporting hawthorne or anything to do with the hawthorne footy club Jeremy Cameron kicked a goal in, I believe it was the first quarter. Mark inside 50, probably one of those goals that nine times out of 10, he would absolutely nail. It came off the side of the boot, um, bounced through for a goal, but there was about five Hawthorne defenders sitting outside, just um, outside the square. None of them pretty much moved um, to get that ball on the line. But I feel like if that was any other league, you get absolutely yelled off and given the massive spray to the bench um, and probably run laps at training and get like this, like, um, yeah, a fine for like 50 metre penalty, even though it wasn't just one of those fines when you do dumb shit. So, yeah, um, step up your game. It's one of the first things you learn as a defender to always have someone on the goal line. <laughs> and where's where's our AFL contracts? <laughs> I mean, that's all I'm good for, standing on the goal line. Um, kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm not kidding. <laughs> I mean, I'm a forward and that's all I do. Um, Anyway, um, my hanger this week, um, good Friday footy. Um, while neither of the games were great games in itself, the, um, one of my favourite bits about the North Melbourne Western Bulldogs clash is the work that they do surrounding the Royal Children's Hospital. Um, young Isla tossed the coin, obviously a patient down at the Royal Children's Hospital, and there was a joint banner and instead of all the players running through it, they got um, all the staff and patients from the Royal Children's Hospital to run through it with um, the Bulldogs and uh, the Kangaroos um, having a guard of honour for those um, for, for those workers and patients. So it was quite cool. It was quite, quite sweet and quite cool. And I had front row seats to it. I was sitting sort of just in front of where that banner was Um so, yeah, it was quite a touching moment and, um, yeah, all the work they put into um, that match is quite great because um, a lot of the players go visit the Royal Children's Hospital during the week. So, yeah, 
um, great cause that match is. Um, and Beck, what about you? Can I just add on to yours as well? Um, I know West Coast isn't usually um, a usual Good Friday fixture, but they were also playing a memorial match for the HMAS Sydney the second. Um, which basically is a commemorative match to remember the lives of three South Melbourne players um, that uh, served in the Navy. And these men, they died when the Sydney was sunk off the coast of Western Australia. So it sort of links the two clubs together, obviously the coast of West Australia, West Coast, the South Sydney who became Melbourne um, players. So it really links the two clubs and it's a great way to remember what um, our service men and women do, particularly in the Navy. Um, yeah, but obviously not to take away from the work that they are doing with the Royal Children's Hospital um, over in Victoria. But yeah, just a little fun tidbit there. Um, so my clangers and hangers, they come from the same match. So um, I'll talk about my hanger first. So Easter Monday match. Um, footy on Monday during the day isn't something that we usually get just because everyone's working. And um, But it's a public holiday and we got a footy match then and what a football match it was. Um, it sort of seemed like, I guess, both sides were never truly out of it. Um, Sydney... Obviously, they had a very big lead um, heading into, it was a 10-point lead heading into halftime. Um, Geelong really fought back and it sort of became a real arm wrestle in that second half. But the resilience um, shown by Hawthorne to, you know, get the game and win it by 12 points um, was just fantastic. And, um, yeah, just it, they've produced another classic. We've always said that they produce absolute belters, but there were just such a number of individual standout performances. We had, um, we had, you know, Jeremy Cameron kick three goals. We had Hawkins as well and Tyson Stengel. And um, we also had Dylan Moore kick four. Um, and then obviously um, Gunston and Lewis. So yeah. Another classic rivalry that we love to watch on Easter Monday and I always look forward to the next instalment of this rivalry. Um, but my clangor goes to an action within that match and it is an action of one Mr. Tom Hawkins. Um, he was in a contest and let's just say he put a little bit of mayo on it and dived um some would call it staging but um it came out recently that um he there would be no further action against him even though and I quote in the report it says it was the view of the MRO that Hawkins exaggerated the contact but that his actions did not constitute a reportable offense no further action was taken sounds fine until you actually read the tribunal handbook um, staging can include, but is not limited to, excessive exaggeration of cont contact in an unsportsmanlike manner. It, staging is a reportable offence as it may affect umpire's decision-making, incite a melee, or not be in the spirit of the game. Um, I don't think it incited a melee, but I think it certainly did affect the umpire's decision-making, um, given that um, he got a free kick, a 50 metre penalty and a crucial goal out of it. 
So it's not stuff we want to see. And um, obviously seeing their stars stage and dive and get those sorts of results, it's not really good for the young kids that are watching because it might encourage them to do the same. Um, and I feel like he should have received a fine. But yeah, just not great from Tom Hawkins, considering he does have a lot of talent to back up his footballing ability and he doesn't have to rely on those sorts of tactics to get goals. And yeah, that's my clangor. Hawkins is such a good player that he just doesn't need, like you said, doesn't need to play up and have all the theatrics like that. He he can easily play um, out a top-notch game. He just doesn't need to do it. I think there's no place for, the, for that sort of behaviour in our game. No, not at all. Um, anyway, so that wraps up our segment of Clangers and Hangers. Um, and... So that brings us to our next part of the podcast, and it's a little bit of a hypothetical. Um, so obviously we've seen in recent weeks players um, and coaches and whatnot sit out um, due to COVID-19 health and safety protocols, whether they're a close contact or have actually contracted the virus, um, meaning that clubs are having to rely on top-up players or a COVID contingency list. Um, so we have all sat down and thought about which past player in their prime we would like to bring back as a hypothetical top-up player and why. So, Ellie, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, there's so many names I could choose from, but I've decided to go for a more recent retiree. I can't believe saying recent and it's like two, three years ago. Um, where does time go? Anyway, um, Gary Ablett Jr. Um, I mean, how cool it's to see him back in his prime, running around, um, back on the footy field again. Um, obviously, he had a lot of troubles with that shoulder injury, um, especially in that um, in his last game. But I think to be able to have, um, yeah, to be able to see Gary Ablett Jr. at his prime. Um, Again, I don't think we'll see a player like him. Um, so to have him back in his prime would be something very special, even if it was just for a game. And Danny, what about you? Um, I tried to not be biased, um, but I have chosen the man that actually um, was the reason I decided to go for Essendon. And that is Matthew Lloyd. Um, his skills on the field um, were mind-blowing. He was known uh, as, as a bit of a sniper sometimes. He had the nickname the Velvet Sledgehammer because he could go pretty hard at uh, some of his opponents and, and rock them. We, we are um, aware of some of the incidents that happened while he played, um, particularly the Brad Sewell incident in 2009. But... Um, to look at his highlights and his achievements like he won the Coleman three times and looking at Essendon right now they could really do with a strong goal kicker um and one that can take a take a mark um he won mark of the year one year he won uh goal of the year one year with this like incredible back heel through like a bunch of players um obviously was captain for three or four years at Essendon um, won Jim Stein's medal um, and All-Australian like five times, I think. Um, his, his achievements are really endless. And um, I think that he would be uh, 
an asset to anyone's team. He kicked like 960 odd goals as well. So um, across his career. Um, so yeah, someone with a bit of fire in their belly, but can also take a mark and kick a goal. Like, why wouldn't you want that? <laughs> I think Essendon could really do with it as, as well as a couple of other teams. So he'd be first on my list. How about you, Beck? Um, so I've decided to go for a local boy who um, had a fantastic footballing career and that is Ben Cousins. Um, I think when you, when you think of Ben Cousins, the first thing you think of is all his off-field troubles. And I think while they do make up part of his story, his football also does as well. And one fact about his footballing career is that it was terrific. He played 238 games, mostly for West Coast, but also um, for Richmond. He was a NAB rising star. He won the Brownlow. He made the All-Australian team six times. Um, and just overall, he is one of, in my mind, the best players to take the field. Um, he's a tough, smart footballer and... I think his sort of playing style would really fit into how he's played um, or to the current game's state of play. He, um, yeah, is just a fantastic footballer. And, I mean, he's getting back into football at the moment. He's currently um, playing in the Perth Football League. So, I mean, I'm sure if the AFL came knocking, he would be somewhat fit enough to do it. Um but yeah, I would just love to see him in his prime again before I guess everything just sort of fell apart for him. Yeah, I'm not sure in this day and age he would be accepted on a list. Um, but True. yeah, he, he was a pretty decent player. Um, Three very solid picks there. And um, I think that sort of wraps up that hypothetical. So um, maybe hypotheticals are something we'll see more on this podcast. I don't know, we'll discuss it. Um, off recording. Anyway, moving into this round of football, so into the real stuff, um, we have got several strong uh, rivalries headlining a couple of matches um, in Anzac round. And I guess we can't really talk about rivalries and Anzac round without talking about Essendon and Collingwood. So um what what does this weekend's match sort of look like for both the sides and what are some of our favourite moments that this rivalry has brought for us? Um, yeah, it's um, something that a lot of people have eyes on, um, as this game always does. Uh, Essendon hasn't had the best of starts, uh, as is um, well noted in the media. Um and yeah, Collingwood will be looking to rebound from their loss on the weekend. Um, will likely be a tough contest. It always is, no matter where these two teams sit on the ladder um, each year. It's always a real fun tight battle. Um, there was none tighter than the inaugural Anzac Day clash in 1995. Um, it was Kevin Sheedy's idea. He brought it to life and wasn't such a great idea like we've seen this rivalry running for near uh what's my maths 1995 to 2022 so that's what nearly 30 years um yeah 
and the inaugural game had 95,000 people there. That's 1,000 more than the crowd that attended the grand final later that year, which is ridiculous. Um, and yeah, it was a draw. Uh, Collingwood 17-9, 111 to Essendon 16-15, 111. So obviously Essendon had um, plenty of scoring shots and could have won it. Um, and so could have Collingwood in the dying seconds. Bucks, uh, Nathan Buckley had the ball. And instead of going for goal, he um, hit up Sav Rocker in a three-on-one contest. So um, yeah, that was um, that was a nail biter, that one. Not that I saw it live because I was born that year <laughs> um, but yeah it was, that one always goes down in history I've actually got a um, commemorative woolen um, Essendon Guernsey that has the score on the um, tag of it so that was pretty cool um, the one that sticks in my mind though um, is one David Zaharakis in 2009 in his first Anzac Day match his fourth ever AFL game in front of 85,000 people. Um, <sighs> Matty Lloyd and Scott Lucas had both been goalless for the first time since 1996. That's impressive, like 13 years. Um, and then it was just a comeback that Essendon um, really showed up for. They, Ricky Dyson, his goal um, from the boundary about 15 metres out in like just torrential rain, Always seems to be forgotten. That that call, that goal was what put Essendon one um, one kick um, in in the match, um, and then <laughs> Buddy Leroy Jetta had the shot at an unmissable goal, and he missed it. He fell over. Silly boy, silly boy. And then Zaka in his fourth AFL game um, saw how far away uh, he he was from the goals. He took a mark. And he's like, yeah, no, nah, I can't kick this. And so he played on and pushed through and he kicked the winner and it was his first AFL goal. And you know what? Still thinking about that moment just gives me goosebumps. I watched it live. Um, <laughs> it was just, I don't know, that footage is just burned into my memory. So um, yeah, they're sort of two, two of the um, games from that clash that really stand out for me. There's been a couple of one-point um, victories as well, 2009, 2012. I'm sure there's some others. Um, and I suppose I better talk about Collingwood getting up. <laughs> um, I can't show the bias here. Um, Collingwood was five goals down at quarter time in 2014. And uh, they just got in the car drove up the road, pulled a U-turn, 59-point turnaround to win the match. Um, bloody impressive effort by any means. Um, and, yeah, that one was a really important win for Collingwood that year. Um, but, yeah, this this weekend will be fun to watch. Um, I will be working, unfortunately, uh, but I might, you know, sneak the AirPods in, have my hair down and uh, listen with one ear. <laughs> I think... Um, I think that game with the 2014 one was awesome. I remember being at that one um, and you were thinking, yeah, Collingwood's just going to get annihilated here because it was like 37 points, um, 38 points. When Jake Melcham kicked the goal in the first, the first goal of the second and you're like, oh, it's not going to be a good day. But then Collingwood sort of just piled on the goals and you had um, 
Dane Swan had a, had a stellar game. Um, won his second Anzac Day medal. But I think one of the most recent ones that is mem- memorable for me was um, 2019. Um, obviously not one that Danny would remember as fondly. Um, but yeah, it was a one point um, thriller in front of a 92 uh, 92,000 crowd. So obviously the last, I guess the last one before COVID became a factor. Um, yeah, and I think both teams were firing. Um, Joe Danaher kicked an enormous 60 meter um, bomb on the halftime siren, um, pegging the margin back to just 15 points. Um, and then, yeah, um, Dylan Shield 34 disposals, Zach Merritt 30 disposals, but it was too, unfortunately, too tough to beat. Um, the Scott Pendlebury, who won the Andac Day medal um, and equaled James Hurd um, to win three. And then you had Adam Trelaw, 38 disposals, um, and Brody Grundy, 24 disposals and 39 hitouts. So that was probably my favourite. And I remember watching it at my auntie's house. And yeah, it was just insane. Tell you what, we were talking before about bringing top-up players um, from their prime into the game. I wouldn't mind having 2019 Dylan Shield back in Essendon's side. <laughs> he mean, was a still, he's, still, he's still there, but just maybe not. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's been dogged with injuries though, and um, he's a bit out of form. So having him having him back to 2019 fitness would be amazing. So I think that's a pretty thorough run through um, of the Anzac Day clash, but we've also got another clash, a Q clash, in fact, um, up in Queensland with Brisbane and Gold Coast Suns going head to head in what I like to call the pineapple grapple. Um, (laughs) So... (laughs) Pineapple (laughs) grapple, that is fantastic. (laughs) I wish I could say it was original but I saw it on Twitter and I've just run with it since um but yeah it's it's one of the newer rivalries um obviously the Gold Coast Suns entering the competition in um 2011 so um but the Suns actually won the first Q clash so it was 116 to 124 and it sort of came off the effort of a couple of really impressive moments, um, which started by Nathan Krakauer, who kicked five goals in the game, but he kicked to the sealer after taking an absolute screamer over Joel Patful. Um, and that gave them the one goal lead. Um, and then it all just followed on from there. So um, it was the Suns who took it out. But this rivalry has just continued to grow ever since. We move down the line a few years later to the ninth Q Clash where Stephen May, a Gold Coast Suns player, um, made a little bit of a name for himself in earning suspensions for bumping Brisbane Lions players. So the first of these incidents happened in the ninth Q Clash um, where he earned a three-match suspension for a bump on Tom Rockcliffe. And then in the 11th one in 2016, he earned a five-week suspension for bumping Stephen May under the chin, which left him unconscious and obviously saw Stephen May with five weeks on the sidelines. Um, But that's not the only controversial moment. There's another trend that happened, and it's that 
Dane Zorko and Took Miller do not like each other. Now, um, this was confirmed in an interview heading into the 16th Q Clash that happened later on in the 2018 uh, season. They got, they were, I think it was Took Miller who was tagging Dane Zorko and they got into lots of scuffles and started a couple of fights across the ground. Um, I think there was something like four... um, penalties handed out to players from both sides in it but it didn't help that um Brisbane Lions defender Nick Robertson called the Sun soft um in a pre-ratch radio interview um but it's not the only media comment that um players involved in the Q clash got heavily involved in as the earlier 2018 Q clash Dane Zorko um was telling Took Miller um, what he should do in a very expletive manner. Um, It wasn't in a post-match interview, but his lips were read on camera in a post-match footage. So um, for a rivalry that hasn't been around very long, there's been a couple of heated moments between the two sides. And um, as Brisbane are looking to sort of cement themselves with a really strong start to the season while Gold Coast are looking to add a little bit of consistency, it's a rivalry that should deliver a very, very entertaining match across the weekend because everyone loves to have the bragging rights of being the best footy team in the state. Yeah, 100%. So moving on to another rivalry, we've got Hawthorne and Sydney and they're not in the same state, um, but there's still a lot of history to them. So Ellie, would you like to run us through this one? Yeah, so... When looking this one up, I didn't sort of like I knew players moved across, but I didn't exactly like put together how many players um, sort of had made the switch to across both teams. And it really has sort of cemented foundations for um, that rivalry. So obviously the big one, Buddy moving across to the Swans. Um, Then you had Tom Mitchell goes from Sydney to Hawthorne um, at the end of the 2016 season. And then Josh Kennedy, Moves to Sydney, um, but there have been some absolute cracking clashes. There was the 2011, not 2011, sorry, the 2012 grand final. Um, what a game that was. It was um, very much on the edge of the seat stuff. Um, it was a momentum swinging game. The Swans were leading by a point at um, the final siren. A um, couple of goals for both teams. The margin was just one point after a goal from... Adam Goods, which um, extended the Swans' lead to seven points. Um, the Hawks would have missed a few opportunities, um, especially through Jack Gunston. Um, but Nick Malcheski snapped the sealer with 40 seconds left on the clock for the Swans to win by um, 10 points. There was obviously the 2014 grand final with, um, while it was a sort of a cracking start um Hawthorne ended up running away 63 point winners um and then there was the Tom more latest one Tom Papley milks a free kick there was um Tom Papley kicked a goal and then I think it was Tom Mitchell got into a bit of a scuffle um and Papley put a bit of mayo on the incident and um, got an extra free kick which was one of those situations where it was like two goals in like 10 seconds. Um, And then probably one of my favourite ones because um, this play came out of nowhere, but Ben Ronk kicked seven goals 
against Hawthorne. Um, Lance Franklin was out with injury, so the Swans obviously needed someone to step up and kick those goals. Um, no one expected it would have been Ben. Um, he was 20 at the time, kicked seven goals back in 2018, um, including the sealer with one minute remaining. So the Swans won that game by eight points. So a bit of a modern day rivalry there. Um, and both teams doing ex- extremely well um, this season. So it's going to be a cracking match. So that brings us to our sort of final key rivalry of the round. This one sort of just emerged its head um, in the last couple of years, but nonetheless, it has produced a lot of very um, iconic moments, but also a lot of very memorable moments um, for these two teams. That is, of course, Port Adelaide and West Coast, who... Um, are both sort of sitting towards the bottom end of the table. Port Adelaide still after that elusive first win of the season. Um, West Coast is, they have a win on the board, but they're looking to rebound from a pretty shambolic outing against Sydney um, with several senior players still trying to build up to match fitness and whatnot. Um, But yeah, because there have been so many moments that have happened in recent memory, um, do we want to talk through the, I guess, our favourite moment of the rivalry? I feel like you should kick it off, Beck, because I know yours is quite a good one. Oh, boy, yes. Um, so, so let's take it back to, I guess, sort of the first moment of this rivalry that it sort of became a rivalry, um, and that is the 2017 elimination final at Adelaide Oval. Um, the scores were level, and it started off with a perfect piece of defending from Eric McKenzie, who runs into a behind post to, uh, post to save a behind and give West Coast a fighting chance um, to stay in the match. And it was also the last thing he did before he retired. So what a way to go out. Um, But this prompted the game to go into overtime. Um, And uh, although the circumstances in which he got this free kick are still highly uh, discussed and debated among certain fans. Luke Shuey got a free kick in front of goal um, and he kicked the sealer to take the Eagles into the next round of finals and eliminate Port Adelaide. Um, and can I just say that in an eerily similar fashion, those actions were replicated by Jeremy McGovern, um, doing this, who did the same thing nearly 12 months later um, against Port Adelaide. It was the week after that Western Derby. Um, West Coast were copping a bit of heat in the media. Um, and yeah, he did what he needed to do. And ultimately that had huge finals implication. And I believe it's basically locked in their top two spot. So yeah. Huge moments, and we do love a good goal after the siren here um, at West Coast. But, Ellie, do you have one? Yeah, so this one um, is more extremely recent, but I think in the context of um, where both sides were at, um, this one was um, quite a good one. Um, Saturday Night Football 2021, Optus Stadium. Um, Put it in better words, Paul Adelaide were absolutely torn apart. Um, yeah, so Luke Shuey's return game, Brad Shepard's 200s, um, 
not many expected um, West Coast to do what they did. They limited Port Adelaide to just seven points in the first quarter while kicking 34 of their own. Um, while coming with coming in with a very handy um, lead at halftime, so um, a 52-point lead to be exact. Um, obviously, it didn't end so greatly, I guess, with Luke Shuey suffering a hamstring injury, but um, he had an absolute blinder of a game. He absolutely, absolutely tore Port Adelaide apart. 28 disposals, eight clearances, while Andrew Gaff um, sort of brought back um, to his best form, 36 disposals and four inside 50s. Twin Tower um, duo of Josh Kennedy and Jack Darling um, was strong, having four goals for Kennedy and three for Darling. Um, And Oscar Allen absolutely dominated the air. Um, And all while that, they kept... um, Charlie Dixon goalless, um, which in the last clash um, or in round four the previous year, he kicked six against the Eagles. So an absolute West Coast domination, and it's probably one of my favourites. Danny, what about you? Um, Mine would be the first of the two um, games that these two teams played against each other in 2018. Um, At Optus Stadium, um, 2018 was obviously the first year that uh, that AFL was played at Optus Stadium, um, and yeah, the the Eagles got up by 42 points. Um, it was very different to the game that would be played later that year. It was much closer, um, but yeah, Andrew Gaff is someone who um, you spoke about just before Ellie, um, and yeah, he was prominent in. Um, in, in this game, he had uh, 35 disposals, three clearances, three intercepts. Um, so he was really important. Josh Kennedy kicked four goals. Um, and Jack Darling, who also popped up in your uh, your little story just before, Ellie, he had uh, 10 marks and 12 score involvements. So um, some really important stars there for uh, West Coast at the time. Um, yeah, it was not a great day for um, Port Adelaide. I remember Paddy Ryder's um, interview after the game and he was not stoked, neither was Ken Hinckley. Um, I remember though this um, just awkward bounce that happened. It was like up in the air and Robbie Gray of all people, of course it was Robbie Gray, um, pounced on it and um, it was just like the most awkward bounce and somehow he got it. So um, that was that was a real well, rare highlight, I guess, for Port Adelaide in that game. But, um, yeah, it was uh, a pretty accurate one from West Coast as well. 16 goals, six. So um, imagine if we could see that accuracy um, a bit more regularly uh, in, in today's game. But, yeah, that's probably the one that sticks in my mind um, the most. Um, I just – I feel like we've given a lot of kudos and credit to West Coast here because – Port Adelaide actually did have a very good game against West Coast a couple of years ago. Um, it occurred on Good Friday. West Coast do not have a good track record for Good Friday at Optus Stadium. Um, but nonetheless, it was the first time Scott Lysett met his team after winning the flag in 2018, um, his former team. Um, after winning the flag in 2018, obviously he made the move across to South Australia um, after, at the end of that season. And 
I was in the crowd of that game, second row, level one, and it was bucketing down with rain. The rain was absolutely feral. And it was sort of the first time everyone realised West Coast had a problem when it came to um, wet rain, um, playing in wet conditions. They weren't able to play in that um, clean kick mark, precision kicking uh, game style they had. Um, and they were absolutely demolished by Port Adelaide. The final score um, was 53 to 95, um, albeit West Coast skulls were very few, but they were very accurate. While Port Adelaide struggled with that accuracy, kicking 13 goals to 17 behinds. Um, but I guess one silver lining for West Coast was Jack Petrocelli. Um, he made a name for himself being a little bit of a speedster um, around that time, kicking a fantastic goal on the run against GWS a couple of weeks earlier. Um, and he kicked five of West Coast's eight goals um, and earned the Rising Star nomination for that week. So while it was a great day for Port Adelaide and a not so good day for West Coast, um, Jack Petrocelli was a bit of a shining light in that game. So that wraps up um, our rivalry discussion because there it's a heavy one. And I hope you'll tune in to see as many of these rivalry matches as you can. Um, but there's some other news happening in this week of football. So, um, yeah, Ellie, would you like to kick us off with the first story? Yeah, so rising star this week um, came from Hawthorne. Jai Newcomb um, absolutely starred um, in Hawthorne's win, um, Easter Monday win over the Cats. Um, career high, 31 disposals in um, the Hawks' 12-point win over Geelong. It was just his um, 12th AFL match. Um Newcomb had 19 kicks, 12 handballs and seven marks. Um, obviously picked up with the was drafted um from Box Hill Hawks. Funny enough, the co his coach at the time was now head coach Sam Mitchell. He was selected with pick two in the mid-season draft. Um, he debuted just nine days later. Um, funnily enough, against the Sydney Swans, um, and he set the AFL VFL record for most tackles on debut um, with fourteen. So um, yeah, an absolute star. Um, of the future so yeah absolutely well deserving um and Beck um I believe you've got the next one I sure do so um one of the lesser known Anzac round fixtures is the Len Hall tribute match held at Optus Stadium by the Fremantle Dockers um and this match um is designed to pay tribute to Western Australia's oldest Gallipoli veteran Len Hall um but on the football field, Anzac Day celebrations aside, um, Fremantle is meeting Adam Chera for the first time. And this made for some very funny social media content. Um, obviously, they made a promotional um, photoshopped image um, and everyone was like, Chera plays for Carlton now without actually realising it was advertising Fremantle versus Carlton. So it'll be very interesting to see uh, Chera come up against his former midfield, which is stacked with young talent at the moment in the absence of Nat Fife. Um, but also two great clubs coming together to pay tribute to Len Hall and all of the other soldiers that served as Anzacs. 
Danny, handballing it over to you now. Sure. So exciting times in Tasmania this weekend. It's the first time the AFL is coming to its state for this season. Um, they will be playing um, at Blundstone Arena in Hobart, North Melbourne versus Geelong um, on Sunday at 1.10pm. Um, exciting times for uh, Tasmania. And um, it will be the second straight year that the Cats have played at Blundstone Arena. Um, last time they met um, North Melbourne, they won by 20 points. So um, I reckon, though, this, this year or this weekend might be a bit closer, I hope, um, just for the game's sake and for um, Tassie's sake. Uh, they have aligned it so um, the... Tasmania State League doesn't have any games on Sunday, which is handy to um, help get the crowd as big as possible there. Um, there is um, a game at North Hobart Oval the next day. So hopefully some people stick around um, to, to watch that game. Um, yeah, and obviously it um, will help boost the conversation around Tasmania getting an AFL team. Um, we don't know sort of where it sits now that uh, the Premier Peter Gutwine, who was um, the one really pushing to have a state team at Tasmania, he's retired or he's quitting from politics. So, uh, yeah, this will generate more conversation around it and uh, hopefully show that we're not that far off from having a team down south there. And also just to cut in there, there's also a second game in Tassie this week with um, Hawthorne v Sydney at U um Utah Stadium on Anzac Day. Um, so that's sure there'll be a great clash um, and bringing the Anzac Day action down to Tasmania. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's um, it's great for the game. It's good to have two games in one weekend, I reckon, um, just to, you know, get people down to Tasmania for a weekend. It'd be great for tourism as well because, you know, people come down on the, on the Friday and spend the weekend there and, um, and yeah, spend their dollars there. So... Um, yeah, good stuff, Tazzy. Enjoy hosting. Um, and just to quickly round it up, a uh, huge shout out to the Adelaide Crows. News has come out that they're giving public sector nurses, doctors, paramedics, police officers, human service, uh, human services, frontline workers, and teachers a complimentary ticket to the April thirtieth match against GWS. So, huge props to the Crows um, for showing their appreciation at acknowledging the hard work that all these people do. Um, and yeah, it's fantastic to see them getting that recognition given the real trying times that have happened across the world. So that wraps up our news section. And now the only thing left to do is give our quick fire tips. So we will, I'll read out the match where it's being played. You will tell us who we think will win. No reasons, no justification. Are we ready? Sure. Okie dokie. So Friday night, we have GWS and St Kilda at Monica Oval. Ellie, who are we going with here? Saints here. Yes, Saints. I'm going with St Kilda too. Saturday, kicking us off, we have the Bulldogs and the Adelaide Crows at Mars Stadium in Ballarat. Who's going to get the chocolate bar? Because it's at Mars Stadium. Ellie? 
<laughs> um, bulldogs for me. Yeah, it's got to be the doggies. They're always scary at Ballarat. And I'm going to make it unanimous once again by saying the bulldogs. Um, then we are heading across to Adelaide Oval, where Port Adelaide will search for their first win against the West Coast Eagles. Danny, which way are we swinging here? Mm, sorry, but I reckon Port will actually get up this time. They'll, they'll break the curse. Oh, this is actually a tough one. I'm going to go West Coast. I'm going to go with West Coast as well. And then we are moving back across to the West Coast where Fremantle and Carlton will go head to head in the Len Hall match. Um, who are we tipping here, Ellie? Frio. I'm so excited for this. I'm going to go Carlton. I'm going to go Fremantle. And then Sunday's football, we have North Melbourne and Geelong Cats at Bloodstone Arena. Sorry, Bloodstone Arena in Tassie. Uh, Roos or Cats? Danny, tell us. The Roos. Not, sure <laughs> Not sure why I've said that one. <laughs> that was me for the Port West Coast game. Um, Geelong for me. I'm going to go the Cats as well. Uh, then we've got the Gold Coast Suns in Brisbane at Metricon Stadium in the Q Clash. Danny, tell us. Brisbane. Brisbane for me. Brisbane. Um, and then wrapping up Sunday's football, we have Richmond and Melbourne at the MCG. Danny. Melbourne. 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 And we have for our Monday football, first up is Hawthorne and Sydney at Utah's Stadium. Uh, Ellie, where are we going here? This is actually a hard one. I'm going to go Hawthorne only because it's in Tassie. Yeah, I'm going for upsets. Let's go Hawks. I'm going to go with Hawthorne as well. And lucky last, the Anzac Day round clash, uh, Essendon and Collingwood at the MCG. Danny, who's winning this? Well, if I'm going for all the upsets, I can't go against my own team <laughs> in an upset. So let's go Essendon. Um, I'm going to go for the upset um, and tip Essendon. I'm going Collingwood. <laughs> Playing it safe. <laughs> I don't like upsets. <laughs> mostly because I don't like feeling sad anyway <laughs> I'm too upset by myself to worry about upset <laughs> anyways uh that wraps up our quick fire tips and our podcast for this week so uh any final comments ladies go dogs go dons can't eggs um yeah, we hope you enjoyed listening in. Be sure to tune in next week for our episode where I'm sure we will have plenty to discuss about a jam-packed, exciting week of football. Thank you all for tuning in. Um, be sure to tune in next week where I'm sure we will have a jam-packed, action-filled round of football to talk about. Um, yeah, we hope you enjoyed it. And this has been What The Ruck. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at What The Ruck Pod as part of the Edge of the Crowd network. You can also find us at Edge of the Crowd on Instagram and Twitter too. 
and our website, www.edgewithcrowd.com. Thank you for tuning in and we will catch you later.